Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Before we dive in, I want to thank our listeners, especially those who took the time to leave us a review. This one comes from Reinvention Rebel. Love the username. This is a beautiful podcast, insightful, thoughtful, and beautifully hosted by Andrea. Cancer is everywhere. So many people I know are struggling, including my mom. These conversations will inspire you, soothe you, inform you, and help you understand the journey of thriving with cancer. Thank you so much, Reinvention Rebel, for that five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. Tess Scott is a mom, a Grammy, and a cancer survivor. Tess is a speaker, an author, and an encourager of women. I love that word, encourager. Tess's book, Listen, sister, finding hope in the freak show of life features real life shenanigans and points out glimpses of God in the everyday, offering women hope in their own freak show. Tess, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Andrea, thanks for having me on. Okay. I already know from the title title of your book, this is going to be so fun. (laughs) I can't even get through the bio without laughing. So Tess, would you please take us back to the very beginning of your cancer journey? What happened? Did you have symptoms? Where did it all start? Okay. So I'm going to give you a little kind of prelude to lead into this, that story that I find is important in my story is that, so my past, my freak show of life is this kind of, uh, black sheep girl, married a whole bunch of times, and I'm not even a celebrity, you know, finally like- Wait, wait, <laughs> married a whole bunch of times? Yeah. How many times? Uh, four. And okay. that's enough, not even a celebrity and going yet. And uh, so life is going along, tickety-boo, I'm married to Rick, you know, um, and he comes and says he's leaving, he's not happy, things aren't good. So I'm devastated, divorced, like after a year divorced, divorced for three years, then our relationship is reconciled and we get remarried. Okay. So that is the most amazing miracle that I have ever had in my life. And I did pray every day for that to happen, but, and I knew it could, but I didn't know if it would, you know? So anyway, that that's very Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She's probably, I do identify with her sometimes. So, so anyway, we got remarried on September 9th of 2016. Three weeks Mm. later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. No. Yes. So that's why I told you that whole black sheep story is that, you know, that kind of really works into the timing of the diagnosis. Sure. So I went for just my normal mammogram. Nothing wrong. Can't feel anything. Nothing at all. Don't see anything, nothing. Don't see anything. Don't feel anything. It's just a good day. I'm like just married and happy. <laughs> like life is good. <laughs> life is good, sister. Sure, I'll just go in and have this little test and we'll go out for lunch. You know, it's a good day. And uh, they called me back for another test and 
did a biopsy. And, you know, I'm talking to a couple of girlfriends and they're like, oh, I've had that. It's nothing, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I've had, she's had that. It's nothing. It's probably nothing. But what if it's something? Right. And my mother had had breast cancer five years before. So I knew that there was more of a chance of me having it. Yeah. Um, they did, obviously they found breast cancer. It was tiny little pieces of cancer through my entire breast, like throwing um, mud through a screen door, not one mm, lump. Wow. So interesting analogy. Yeah. Wow. I really get it. Yeah. Okay. So even after um, she had the picture of that, the surgeon still could not feel it. And she feels everything. Yeah. She feels a lot of boobs, that woman, right? And right. she could not tell at all. But yeah. So it was um, it was shocking. I think it's always shocking to hear that word. You have cancer. Um, and the timing was the thing that really had me reeling in the beginning. Sure. Did you tell your mom right away? Um, yeah, I told my mom, we have a complicated relationship as is sometimes the case with mothers and daughters. Um, so I have all boys, so I'm not going to have that relationship with any of my eight kids, <laughs> but, um, yeah, she, yeah, I did tell my mom and my dad was still alive at that time, which he isn't now. And, uh, I told them, yeah, and my kids and probably everybody who would listen for a little while. <laughs> yeah. And was it only in the one breast as far as they knew? Yeah. Yeah. It's only in the one breast. They did give me the option of uh, having a double mastectomy, but like I decided no for a few different reasons. Okay. One being- so tell us what those were. Well, like I just got married and I hadn't, you know- had sex for a few years. So, um, <laughs> I would... If that's a bad word, we're in trouble. <laughs> no. So it's okay. No, it's not. It's okay. It's not a bad word. I'm just goofing around. Um, so that, I mean, honestly, I have to say that played into the decision. And, of course. And um, I didn't want to have any kind of a mastectomy, but really there was no choice. Either. Okay. Right? I mean, there's always a choice, but it, it was the best choice, I think. So, so you did the one breast. Yeah, I did the one breast and then um, hoping that that was going to be good enough and I'll be just okay after that. But then I had to have chemo and then I had to have radiation. So, and Herceptin. I don't know if you know what that is after the I chemo. I do, but I'm going to, yeah. so uh, what did you decide to do about, since you did have the single mastectomy, I'm going to take you back just a little bit. What did you decide to do about reconstruction? I did not do reconstruction. Um, yeah, just decided not to do that. I can do it at a later time if I decide to do it. Um, yeah, I just decided not to. Okay, so you have mastectomy and you have chemo before radiation? Yes. So what did that treatment plan look like? How long did you have to have chemo and what kind of impact did that have on your newlywed life? Yeah. Um, chemo met was 16 weeks every Friday. It's about an hour drive from my house to the hospital where I had chemo. So someone went with me every time, sure. um, mostly because the drug that they gave me so that I wouldn't be sick to my stomach made me really tired. So I slept through most of the chemo treatment and the person with me got to read a book or something. It was pre COVID. So anybody could come with you. Um, one of my girlfriends would go where my husband came. And 
it was difficult because I lost my hair. Now, I think, I don't know if anyone else agrees, but I think losing my hair was more difficult than losing my breast. I know some women who would agree with you. Yeah, even, I think it really varies, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, even though it was short term, but nobody who sees me knows that I don't, I'm lopsided, that I only have one boob because I have a prosthetic. I never had a big plunging neckline to start with. Like I was always an A cup, you know. Um, I thought when I grew up, I'd be a bigger number, but no, I stay the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, a, just little guys. Um, so that didn't change really anything. Nobody knows, but your hair, like everybody sees it. Like I rocked right. the long um, Reba McIntyre red wig and I had fun with it. But when you're, it was almost worse when it started growing in because it came in gray. What the heck? <laughs> did you get the chemo curls? I, I did so not. I would have liked not, that. Yeah. I didn't get that. So it just came yeah. in like a gray buzz cut. And eventually I quit wearing the wig because there has to be a time that you do that. And um, it was difficult. I found it. I had a lot of times that I was saying to my husband, like, you didn't know this when we got married, like we just got married, you just came back and you didn't know you were going to have a wife with no hair and one boob and all those things, you know, feel, I felt really sorry for myself and, and sorry for him. And this is what he said. This is what an amazing man that he is now. He said, I knew when we got married that we are going to be together for the rest of our lives. So one of us is probably probably going to have to look after the other one at some point. And that's what I'm in for. And I, I just, even though I know that when you marry somebody, well, usually you, that's what you hope when you get married, <laughs> number four. Uh, but, but just to be told that it was, it was so important to hear that because I think the biggest battle of cancer for me was in my head. Hmm. Like people say, you have to fight, you have to fight, but that's where the fight is. That's where the fight is. It's in your head. It's being strong. It's not giving up. It's knowing truth. I have to ask because I just, I just feel I, I resonate with you so much. Are you the person who normally takes care of everybody else? Yeah. I'm a mom of eight boys. I can't not yeah. take care of everybody else. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I love that your husband said that to you because you really needed to hear it. Yeah. And if, if you're the person used to taking care of everybody else, mm -hmm. it can be hard to receive the care mm -hmm. and trust the care. But I, I just love that for you because there was a moment in my marriage with my ex-husband where I really needed him to be there for me. We were in the ER. I had a migraine mm -hmm. and he just couldn't do it. And he said, his, what he said to me was, you're the one that usually handles this stuff Aww. because I'm the patient advocate. I know how to navigate mm -hmm. the, the healthcare system. And in that moment, I, I couldn't even open my eyes. I was in so much pain because of the fluorescent lights and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like on the floor in a fetal position. And, and that was one of many pivotal moments mm -hmm. in our marriage where I realized like, he's just never going to be able to do this. Yeah. Like, this is not something he's good at. Yeah. And, and that's not fair to me. No, no, just wasn't fair to me. No, you needed him. So, yeah. 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 So I, I love that he, he said that to you after the chemotherapy, 
you had radiation. Mm-hmm. How long did you have to do radiation? So radiation was 28 days um, in a row. Monday to Friday, I think. Yeah, Saturday and Sundays didn't go. So maybe 25 days in a row, five weeks of Monday to Friday. Same hospital, so a little bit of a commute, but I could actually drive. So I went back to work um, the first part. While you were doing radiation? While I was doing radiation. Because my job, which was a part-time job, became a full-time job. And I had to apply for it. And if I got it, which I did, I had to start on that date. So it it was, it was the best thing to do. And I loved my job. I mean, I, I loved my job and I felt well, I felt good enough to go back, you know, except well, the hair thing, (laughs) but but I went back anyway, I went back full time. It was the first of June and, um, and worked. And then, so you did you tolerate radiation? Well, it sounds like, you yeah, it, it didn't really bother me. Maybe it made me tired, but I was just tired anyway. So I can't say that that was why. And so I worked in the morning and then went left at whatever time, two o'clock, I think I worked six to two and then left, then went to the hospital and had radiation came back and I drove myself almost all the time. Yeah. It, it wasn't as big a deal as I was afraid it was going to be for me, like how it affected me. I just, I want to say one more thing about the timing um, in in my life. Even though I thought at the time, are you kidding? This is the worst timing (laughs) in the world. Like, God, what are you doing? I'm pretty sure you did something, you you made a mistake, you know. But looking back, and I think that's the thing in life, right? We can't see it at the time when we're going through something. But looking back, sometimes we're, we have a clearer focus. Not always we can see it, but sometimes it's like a gift when we can. And I could see that that timing allowed my husband to take care of me. It allowed him to show me that he loved me, right? I had to step back. I had no choice. I couldn't take care of myself. Yeah. It allowed him to show the kids, dad's here, dad loves her, right? It was, it was actually the best timing, if there's ever a good timing to have cancer. Um, but I can say that I'm thankful for that timing because of that. And I'm glad that I could see that now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really, it was really good, not only for you, but for your kids to see that. Mm-hmm. So you... So you have chemotherapy, radiation after having a mastectomy, and then you're now you're on Herceptin. Right. So estrogen positive, is that correct? No, I was, um, Sorry. Horm- it's okay, hormone negative and her, um, HER2 positive. HER2 positive, that's, that's right. So how long do you have to be on Herceptin? Uh, it's once a month for a year. Okay. And so you're done with it now. I'm done with it. Yeah. What was that like? Were there any side effects? Of None. That? No side effects. Really? Yeah. And they left the port in. I had a port uh, so that, medi- you know, the medication just went right into that. So they didn't have to find a vein. I'm, I don't have very good veins for whatever reason. They always struggle with getting a vein. And that's probably the worst part of ever having IV is when they can't find a vein and they're, you know, digging around. Hey, I'm pretty sure I can get one in there. Um, so they didn't ever have to do that once they put the port in and they took it out a few months after the Herceptin treatment was done. So I would really recommend that for anyone that they ask, do you want a port? Yes, I do. Best decision I made. Okay. That's interesting that they actually asked you. Mm -hmm. They asked if you wanted one? Yeah. Because, huh. Because 
normally I would, okay. I can't say normally because every situation is different, but from all the people I've interviewed, it's, it's, we're putting a port. In oh, it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's no option. Involved. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I agree that if you're going to have treatment, you don't want to keep continuing mm-hmm. to get pricked. Um, if your body can handle it, I do mm-hmm. know people that, that their bodies just continually rejected a port yeah. and couldn't handle it yeah. and, or, you know, would be infected constantly. So, yeah. um, Okay, so you go through all of that. What were the ages of your sons during this time, and what was that like for them? Hmm. I didn't know there was going to be math. Just a minute. So (laughs) (laughs) it was in 16. So Hayden, my youngest one, was 13 at the time. I have a special needs son that we adopted, so he would have been 18, but really like seven or eight mentally. Um, and then I had one son still living at home who was planning to get married. Um, he would have been 23 and then 24, 25, 26, you know, and, and on up. And yeah, it, it was, uh, it was difficult. It caused other problems. Um, my special needs son acted out because he doesn't know how to handle things like that. He has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So that's a whole podcast of its own. And, um, so he ended up having to live somewhere else. He couldn't, he couldn't, he became violent and, and I couldn't handle anything. I mean, I can't, I can't fix your problems. I can barely just sit here on the couch. So, um, yeah. What was hard for him? Was it not being able to come to you to not having mom being mom? Mm. I mean, what, what was the difficult part for him? I don't know. He, he reacts in different ways. If he's upset, like for instance, when my father passed away at a different time, he was upset about that, but how, how he handled it was by, um, you know, being really violent to people. Like something that you don't, you would never know that that was why. Like, why is he yeah. doing this? Oh, okay. Something totally different. And he doesn't know why, you know? Right. So that's the thing. It's, you can say, oh, this is cancer and this is how it affected me, but it has far reaching things into all of our relationships. And we don't always yeah. even see that that's what it is. And sometimes it's not, it wasn't the cancer. It was, might've been how I handled it, how it affected our family dynamic, like mom's not making dinner tonight. Mom always makes dinner, right? To somebody yeah. like him, who's very routine, um, that's a big deal. Yeah. Mm. What about your 13-year-old son, since he sounds like he was the baby of the family? Yeah. Yeah. He's the baby, all right? He, um... And that is not a fun age anyway. I think maybe a little more so for girls because they're at a little bit of a different place in puberty. But uh, what was that like for him? I don't know if he noticed. Um, I think... (laughs) (laughs) They are self-absorbed. I mean, they are at that age, for sure. Yes, that's what I mean. Teenagers are so self-absorbed that I... Yeah. We didn't have a lot of conversations about it. Perhaps he he did with his dad. I'm not aware of that. I don't know. He was here, but... um, I don't know how it affected him, to be honest. He, I asked him once if he was scared and he said, no, <laughs> like, okay. I mean, now, like looking back, were you really scared? Yeah. You know, like, no, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure he took his cues from you. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> I, I think it would be different having daughters. Like I always wonder that in life, like, because having all boys is such a, boys are so different than girls, I think. Although I don't have girls, but one night, I was on the couch. I was quite sick to my stomach. You know, 
there was kind of a routine of, of, it was every seven days. So I knew on day three, I'm probably, you know, going to be sick. And on day four, this like that every week. So you kind of got used to it. But on my sick night, my son who um, was 23 had a bunch of his friends over. So I had my, my, (laughs) I had my mastectomy on December 2nd. So this is, you know, coming up to Christmas. And uh, so, yeah, it must not have been chemo. It must have been just after my surgery. But I remember I was on the couch and I was not feeling well. And he had a, some of his friends over and his girlfriend, who's married to now. I love her, by the way. And she, they were making these, I don't know, some kind of gift bags or something. All I remember is the crinkling, like like crinkle, crinkle, like really loud, like, um, I don't know, like cellophane stuff and all the crinkling and stuff. And just looking at my husband and saying, make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea. You were sensitive yeah, to the noise. Right. I wasn't feeling good. And, I, but I, I could have gone to my bedroom, but you know, I like to be where all the action is, but just not the noisy action. <laughs> so he was unaware. Like he was just, he's just so oblivious sometimes. Anyway, he's such a great guy. He was just so unaware. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's good memory though. <laughs> I probably mentioned it at his wedding. I'm sure. Well, Tess, what was your worst moment in all of it? Oh, the worst moment. I think, I think, like I said, it's the, it was like a fearful moment of when they told me, okay, so my family doctor in my city had looked at my mammogram and said, Oh, it's just little. I see one little spot. They're probably just going to take out a, you know, do a little, um, lump lump back to me. Yeah. Just some little thing and you'll be on your way. So that I held on to that (laughs) for dear life. Then I went to the bigger city that has the cancer center that I want to go to. They redid all the tests, which they do. And I went to see the surgeon quite sure that I knew what she was going to say. (laughs) Right. Because I, you know, for good reason, for good reason just, I was holding on yes. to that. And my husband went with me and she told me what was going to happen. And that was not it. That it was like I described, like just plastered with these um, cancer, cancerous cells and that I had to have a mastectomy. And that was the worst moment because I was so shocked. I thought I knew. Like, I think that's like right. life. We always think we know what's going to happen and we don't have a clue. Um, so that was really, that was hard. But she was smart that she she said what she had to say. And then she said, I'm going to leave you two alone for a few minutes. And she left the room. So gave you a little she time. gave me a little yeah. time to have my little um, temper tantrum or whatever I had. <laughs> well, you, you would not have heard a single word she said after no. that. It was very smart of her yeah. to give you yeah. a little bit of time. Yeah. And, and my husband let me just say all the things I needed to say. And yeah, it, it, it was hard. It was really, really difficult to hear. What was your best moment? Hmm. I, oh, best one moment? Oh, that's yeah. hard. There, I really loved, my daughter-in-law came with me to the hospital um, when I had chemo. And she met with, she wasn't my daughter-in-law yet. She was my son's girlfriend, who's now my daughter-in-law. And the nurse took her aside and said, um, you can order this quilt for your mom. Cause she said, she kept, she always called me her mom. And uh, so she ordered this quilt, which is like, it was, it's a free service that this place in Canada does. And they make quilts for all cancer patients. And 
I don't know. It was, it was just so nice. Like she called me mom. Like I don't have girls, right? I have daughter-in-laws. It's just different. And it was just, I don't know. It was just really special. It was a really special day. Do, do you think that experience made you closer? To her? Oh, yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. I mean, even prior to her officially. Yeah. Officially. Her yeah. 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 She's great. Yeah. So Tess, what is one thing that you wish you had known at the very beginning? I think I wish I had known that it was going to be um, more of a fight in your mind. Because you do hear people say all the time, oh, you have cancer, you're going to have to fight this. But it, like, what does that mean? You know, but I think it, this is what I think it means. I think it means fill your head with truth know what is true and don't get off the path worrying about, I mean, we all worry, but we can get so wrapped up in what if, what if, what if all the what ifs that may not even happen. What, and, and we can't do anything about them. Like we do our best um, to, to make, to follow the right plan. You know, I did what, what the expert said to do. The expert said, have a mastectomy. I don't want to, but I did because that's what I believe is the best plan. Um, but worrying like, what if, what if, what if it just, it just pulls you down. I totally agree with you. I'm reading this book right now. It's actually a business book, but she has this little paradigm. And I think she even says that she didn't come up with this, but it's really about how we take facts. And then of course we come up with our own thoughts. Mm -hmm about them, you know, we interpret them through our lens and then we have these thoughts which lead to feelings and then you get mm -hmm. so far removed from what was actually true, like black and white true, yes. you know, and, and and that's a problem mm -hmm. and again can have a huge impact, you know, positively or negatively on your business. So, but it's just, it's, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but I digress. So <laughs> let me come back. Let me come back. It's to important you. though. Um, important. Yeah. But one of my favorite quotes, uh, I think it's a, a nice nun that said that um, we don't see things how they are. We see things how we are. Oh, we don't see things. So true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we all see things, you know, through our own lens. Yes. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. see how you, you don't. I mean, we just, we do. So you are in Canada. Mm. Where in Canada are you? I'm in Ontario, Sarnia, Ontario. I'm right on the border of um, Michigan and Ontario. There's a, there's okay. a big bridge in my city. It goes right to your country. <laughs> That's why your accent is not crazy strong, maybe. I don't know. So if you could only do one thing to change healthcare in Canada, mm -hmm. what would it be and why? Well, to start with, I love that our healthcare is free in Canada. So I've spoken to some other people from the United States um, and it's really expensive compared to here. Like I had all these things. I had the mastectomy, all the biopsies, the chemo, Herceptin, radiation, everything cost me nothing, zero, which is amazing. So I want to first say, I love that. Now, <laughs> what would I change? I was going to say, I hear a butt coming. <laughs> there is a big butt coming. Uh, it would be nice. If our wait times were shorter. Now, my wait time for this was not long because it's cancer, I guess. Um, 
I was only a few weeks to get in to see somebody once I had my mammogram and I have mammograms and MRIs every year and, and that's not a problem, but I have another thing right now and I'm waiting to see a specialist and my doctor made an appointment uh, in the first of June and I can get in to see this specialist on October 20th. And, and that is common. Four months is common to see a specialist and, and that's just an OBGYN. That's not like, any kind of rocket science or <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, if he's listening, I really appreciate him, but, uh, yeah, that's a long time to wait. Do you think that perhaps the reason that you got to see the oncologist sooner was, was just because of the results of that mammogram, oh. because they knew how bad it really was? I absolutely. Mean that's absolutely why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad I didn't wait months because that would not have been good. So we do get in quicker when it's that kind of thing. You know, if, if I needed to go to the OBGYN because I was pregnant, they probably wouldn't make me wait for nine months, you know? So right. <laughs> it's not, One would it's not absolutely crazy in this country, but there are long wait periods. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll try. Let's learn a little bit about you outside of cancer. So beach, desert, or mountains? Oh, beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Uh, beach Boys. What is one word that best describes you? Hmm, awkward. <laughs> what? Like awkward, no. awkward in a funny way. You know, like when you walk out of the bathroom onto the stage, but you didn't notice your skirt is still tucked in the back of your nylons. Like that kind of awkward. <laughs> that kind of awkward. <laughs> I just, okay, not my impression of you, but I love it. Okay. All right. Um, before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh, a song? Um, how about Amazing Grace? That's a good one. Any particular version? Oh, no. And the last meal you want to eat? Oh, cheesecake. That's like chocolate cheesecake with caramels and little nuts in it. Unless I can't swallow well, because then the nuts would be a problem. But definitely cheesecake. <laughs> yeah. I think you're the first person to ever say cheesecake. What? That is interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure you are. Who cares about pounds, so, man? Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most people say something substantial. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I, but I, yeah, yeah. I think you're the first first person to say. All cheesecake. right, I get the whole thing. And as someone who doesn't and doesn't love cheesecake, I don't, I don't understand the answer, oh. but I appreciate the dessert part. So, yeah. yeah, for me, I'm the same way. Like, give me stuff that who yeah. cares? Yeah, who cares about the balance? Um, what about the last person or people you want to see? Oh, definitely my husband and my kids. Yeah, and maybe my grandkids. Who knows? I have nine grandchildren. It's got to have to be a really big room if really? I died at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she has the whole wing, the Scott wing. <laughs> <laughs> and the last words you will speak. Uh, probably I love you or see you later. Oh, I like that better. Cut that. See you later. That's it. That's what I want to see. <laughs> I like that too. Yeah, for sure. And aside from cancer, you, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And also please tell people how they can get in touch with you. Well, I think it's really important to encourage each other. And I love encouraging women. That's kind of my little, my thing. So um, I wrote a book that encourages women and it's called Listen Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show of Life. 
look, I actually can even show you right there. Ta -da -da. That's right. And it's just really short little stories. So if you're reading it, you can read one story as you fall asleep because you're having chemo or because you're in the bathroom and your kids are banging on the door and you only get one minute of peace or whatever. It's not a long drawn out thing. It's funny, hilarious, real life, awkward stories that have happened to me. And some of them are during cancer and some of them are just growing up on a farm, raising eight kids, finding out your kid peed in the Lego. I don't know all the things that happen to all of us in life, but it's real, it's raw. It, and uh, it's funny. So it'll make you laugh until you pee your pants. And who doesn't want to do that? And how can people find the book? What's the best way? Yeah, you can find it on any kind of uh, bookstore, Barnes and Noble, Chapters, Indigo, um, Walmart.com, Amazon, all the places. You could also go to my website at tessscott.com. I do um, some speaking engagements, talking to women, encouraging them and um, and all that's on there, some testimonials, some blogs, some fun stuff. Yeah. All right. We will put that in the workshop and the show notes. Thank you. Tess, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. And I, I do feel like there's another whole podcast episode there with the marriages. <laughs> oh, I <yeah>. do. <laughs> oh, my. Well, it's a freak show, sister. I'll tell you that. <laughs> thank you so much, Tess. Yeah. Thanks, Sandra. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.